Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Today's guest is Mary Valoni. Uh, she is a fundraising consultant, a trainer, and coach. She also has a new book out, Fundraising Freedom. And today she's on the show and she's going to talk about fundraising and taking a new look at fundraising. Of course, that's a topic we all have to deal with as nonprofit leaders. And the two things I'll just mention as teasers, if you will, is number one, she's going to talk about millennials and how do we reach millennials with fundraising uh, strategies. And then number two, the real importance of relationships, that relationships are so critical for anybody we're trying to connect with on a fundraising uh, way, but certainly when it comes to millennials, relationships are king. So if you want to connect with millennials, you want to connect relationally. And so she'll talk a little bit more about her experience, the trends she's seen, and some of the principles she has in her book. I think you're going to really enjoy today's podcast. And Mary, great to have you on the show. And let me just ask, why is fundraising so difficult for so many nonprofits? Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, fundraising, you know, for, for every organization looks just a little bit different. But I think that there's always this overwhelming pressure for organizations to obviously raise a lot of money so that they can make greater impact with their mission. And so sometimes with that pressure, it brings on a whole new element <laughs> for organizations. Um, and, you know, just like any business, money is what keeps the business open. And so for our nonprofits, I mean, fundraising is so critical to whether or not we can fulfill our mission. So, yeah, it, I mean, I just think that it's just a challenge across the board. But um, I'd like to bring a whole new element to that where it, it's no longer, um, you know, a detriment or something that's like, you know, daunting tasks that we have to take on, but we get to fundraise together and we get to raise support for our wonderful causes. Well said. And in, in your opinion, from your experience, what are the most common mistakes leaders make when it comes to fundraising? Yeah, well, I think some of the common mistakes is that we think that we turn into like telemarketers, <laughs> you know, like we start thinking about our, our causes that we're trying to sell it to somebody. But here's the thing. We love what we do. You know, for the most part, all of our all of our volunteers and our donors are a part of our organizations because we're making great impact. So I want people to flip that totally upside down and start looking at um, the fact that we get to be a part of of our organizations and that we get to invite other people to be a part of what we're doing. So, I mean, that just, to me, is, is you know, so much better <laughs> in, in the grand scheme of it that, that we get to, to invite people in to be a part of what we're doing. And, um, and obviously with that comes great pride and money always comes when people feel good about what they're a part of. 
Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. And obviously you've had some national experience with uh, various nonprofits. Um, tell us about a little bit about your experience when it comes to fundraising. Uh, my guess is you've been part of these large organizations, so you have large budgets. Um, what would you say to maybe some of those mid-sized to even small nonprofits, which are the majority of nonprofits you know, around the country? Um, how your experience, how could you, um, how would you coach somebody who perhaps has a smaller budget um, in avoiding some of these pitfalls that you mentioned? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we have so many nonprofits um, around the world and obviously just starting up to, like you said, majority of them sit in that middle range. And my background, I've had a lot of opportunity to work with national nonprofits and I started my career with Special Olympics and then worked with the ALS Association, which is um, known as Lugaric's Disease. And then um, my, my most recent organization was with the American Cancer Society. And so, but with each organization, um, you know, the process is really the same. And that's when I was writing my book, you know, Fundraising Freedom, I, I wanted to just make it really simple for organizations to be able to understand the fundraising process. And in the end, it's really all about your thought process when it comes to fundraising, is that if we can change, you know, like what I had just mentioned about flipping our perspective of that we get to be a part of something, it's it's so much like our corporations that are out there that people, you know, they buy the product because it says something about them. And so for all of our organizations, I think that it's important to realize that when people align themselves with you is that they that says something about them as a person, that they care about your mission and they care about um, the cause that you guys, you know, the, what what you're doing to impact the world. And so regardless of whether you're big scale or small scale, um, you know, really the, the process is really the same. And so I tell, you know, when I'm coaching nonprofits and working through with the process, it's, it's really about finding your people, you know, like finding your tribe, you know, who are the people that love what you do and are like-minded like you. So sometimes when I come in as a consultant, sometimes people think they're like, oh, well, you're going to bring all these high dollar donors with you. <laughs> it's like, well, it doesn't exactly work that way because I don't want you to to go after just people with money, I want you to go invite people into your organization because they love what you do and that they have a passion for the people that you're serving. So those middle-level organizations actually have really great opportunity because um, you're small enough to where you're not out of reach for those, those um, you know, individuals to be a part of, and, and people really feel like they're a part of something special, and they're, they're, you know, able to get into the weeds with your organization in a very tangible way and, and very visible with the leadership. So, yeah, no, I think that there's so much opportunity, and, and I, you know, I, if you can't tell, I, I love the process of fundraising <laughs> because I just, I think that there's so, um, people, we're, we're just wired to want to do good, and so if we can find the right things that match up with people and their personal visions, I think that there's really great opportunity to get them plugged into our causes. Oh, I love that. I love your passion. It's obvious that this is something you're very passionate about. And I know that when we've talked to other people on the show, passion is so critical for leadership and particularly for fundraising. You know, if you're not excited about your nonprofit, how in the world are you going to get somebody else excited about it? So love your passion and it comes through very well. Well, let's talk about a little bit more about strategy. Um, social media, it's impacting how we do fundraising. And in your opinion, um, is it fundamentally changing how nonprofits should fundraise? Or how would you recommend or how do you coach people to utilize social media to the best advantage for their nonprofit? 
Yeah. So social media has really, you know, upped our game. I really do think that it's it's created, um, you know, instant um, opportunity for conversation, for connection with new people and with the people who already are a part of our organization. But I, I, you know, I don't see a lot of money coming in through social media, but that just totally depends on your cause. I mean, if you hit that millennial, you know, age, I mean, there, there's a lot more people who are giving online through that age group than our older generations. But what, what is so critical about fundraising is, is the relationship. And so for me, I'm like, I'm always looking for opportunities to connect with people. And so when, you know, the way that the old way of doing it before social media was really picking up the phone and trying to get those face-to-face meetings with our with our donors. And I still think that's the best way to fundraise is to get in front of your potential donors. But, you know, we always, we talk about um, the how many touches you want to have with a potential donor. And you want to be able to, you know, thank them seven times. You want them to hear about your cause seven times before they'll ever give to you. You know, so so social media really gives you that um, opportunity to get in front of people in a new way. So I'm also in my, in my book and um, the second chapter of my book. It's called it's all about running your research, and I tell people to be like Sherlock Holmes, and I tell them you know like that to to be like Sherlock Holmes means that you can get you know get broad observations off of minute details, and when when you jump on social media and you see someone traveling or you see a loss in the family or, a, you know, their kids are going off to college, all those sorts of things gives you the information as to how that person can be involved in your organization. So social media, like, I, I think that if it's used well and used right, I mean, it can really increase those relationships in a much more rapid pace than the way that we were doing things before with, you know, just the face-to-face conversations. So, yeah, and and the other thing that I tell my coaching clients is really that I'm like, if the way that you communicate with your donors um, is through social media, the great thing about, like, Facebook and some of the other ones, you can actually message them, of course, and so I tell them, I'm like, don't just stick to the way that things have been done in the past. Like, if you talk to them on Facebook as a friend, like, send them a message on Facebook and follow up on their giving, you know, use it as a means of communication um, as well as, you know, text and email and and face-to-face communication as well. So, yeah, I just want everybody to kind of, you know, have that broad spectrum. Very helpful. Yeah. So it sounds like, yeah, you really would see social media as in addition to all the other things you're doing. So it's not that you would get rid of the traditional ways, if you will, of fundraising. It's more utilizing it as a tool to really strengthen that relationship, which is the core of fundraising anyway. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Yes. And one of um, one of my clients is actually just he's in his early 20s. And so a lot of his donors are also in their 20s. You know, so I, I just tell him, like, you know, you know, your people best. So instead of going the route of, well, this is what everybody tells me I should do. It's like, go with your gut, you know, go with the way that you guys you know, have a relationship. What's what's the way that you guys talk to each other? If you talk to each other by text, then text each other. You know, so I, I think that the whole thing is is know your audience and know the best way to communicate with them. So I also love social media and the fact of if you just meet somebody for the first time and you don't get like their contact information down, um, you can easily find them on social media. And so that's helpful, too, because then you can add them in. And if you've got a, a page for your organization, you can invite them to come, you know, to, to like your page, and then they'll see updates 
as far as what's going on. I don't, um, you know, when it comes to asking for gifts online, um, you know, I think that doing campaigns online are, is, you know, is awesome. But once again, know your audience and know whether or not it's something that's worthwhile for you to do. Well, that's good to hear that because I think some people are, you know, maybe saying, okay, I've got to just put all my time uh, into social media, doing everything online and neglecting some of the, maybe a, a term that um, the fundraising coach um, mentioned once, there was the low hanging fruit. So people you already know about, people that actually like um, you know, letters, like a phone call occasionally, like a meeting, a lunch. Um, so it sounds like, again, you want to balance it out. You got to know your audience first, what's going to best connect with them. So speaking of that, then to, to go further with millennials. Um, we've had several people on the show and they've talked about how millennials are changing how we do nonprofits in general, not just fundraising, but how we lead, how we recruit, how we um, get volunteers to get plugged in, how we manage staff, et cetera. So what have you found along those lines when it comes to fundraising? Do we have to really shift the way we're doing fundraising because of millennials and what they respond to? If we're looking at millennials being one of our primary audiences, um, what are some of the things that you've seen um, how millennials are responding best to fundraising efforts? Sure. I think that we're all, you know, so wired to, you know, to want to have connection with each other. And so when it comes to, you know, no matter what the age group, whether it's millennials or, or beyond, baby boomers and what, what have you, but I think in the end, having a relationship with an organization and really feeling like you're making an impact I think that so many of our young people just want to be a part of something that's making a difference. And so when they feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves and they're making an impact, I think that that's really the root of it. Like they just, they just want to see that. So how we communicate with them is really, I mean, the information is still the same. It's just how are we transmitting that information to them. So to me, I just, I go back to how do we build a relationship with people and, and that's just making sure that information is shared, that they're making a difference, that their dollars matter, you know, all those sorts of things that are, is just so critical to, to what we do. Um, in, in, um, in my book, In Fundraising Freedom, um, the third, you know, chapter is all about enlisting your team. And so for me, I want to have, like, I, I'm always looking for people who um, can connect with another group of, of the community. You know, so if, if I want to reach millennials, well, the best way to reach millennials is have millennial leaders in my organization. So I want to recruit high-level, you know, quality volunteers in my organization, and they're the ones that reach out to, to their peers. Um, so one of, one of the things that I always say is, is just talking about your uh, – I kind of use a grading scale. So I say, like, A-plus volunteers is, like, an ideal person for your organization. Like, they're well-connected. They have contacts. They, they personally can financially give to your cause. That would be an A-plus volunteer in my mind. But every organization has a different, you know, identification of what A-plus means to them. So to me, if you're if you're going after a millennial, an A plus millennial to your organization may look very different from the next organization, but that person will be able to connect with their peers on on social media and and beyond. So it's all about that friendship, about that relationship. I think that's so much bigger than than 
actually using social, you know, like getting caught up in how do we use social media and how do we, you know, present our message. It's like go get the right volunteers for your organization, and that's going to really make all the difference for all the other things that you do um, following. That's very interesting. So, again, in your mind, your opinion would be hire some millennials, get them on your staff, whether it be staff or volunteers, either one. And that's the critical piece as opposed to just say you're um, in your 50s or 60s and really working the angle of social media. You feel like it's more important that you actually get millennials on your staff because they're going to be able to connect with their peers better than perhaps somebody who's not their peer. Is that correct? Absolutely. Well, there's the um, I use the analogy of an octopus. <laughs> this was actually one of my mentors. He taught this. And um, I want to have like basically when you think of an octopus, they have all these, you know, legs. And I want them, I want a leg in every aspect of the community. You know, so I want someone who's going to connect with my younger generation. I want somebody to connect with, like, the PTA and the government and politics. And, you know, I want somebody who's connected in the business um, sphere and stay-at-home moms. And, you know, so depending on your organization, there's you have kind of these target areas that you want to hit. And so if you have a leader, a volunteer, who is really – fits that model to a T and they they really are like the high level person who's, who can connect with that community and that area of, of your community. That's like the best thing you can do for your organization is just to totally diversify. If, if I get one person who's involved in like, the, let's just say it's the school system and then she invites her friend and she's a part of it. And then she invites her friend pretty soon. Your entire committee is made of, of the same people, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's the thing that that is such a detriment to our nonprofits is that we become kind of cliquish. You know, we get we get into one little sector of the community and then we don't have connections into the rest of the community. So I, I just think that if you're looking at social media, if you're looking at, um, you know, different aspects of your community that you want to be a part of, you're going to market to them all very differently. But if you have a volunteer in your group who can who has like laser focus in that particular area they're going to really hone in on on that sector of of you know of the community and make sure that they feel a part of what you're doing so that to me is more important is that we build relationships with the right people build out that team and then from there they start to invite the next level of people to be a part of it and they figure out how do we target our crew how do we target our group of people to be a part of our cause so it sounds like you're really advocating uh, specifically hiring people that connect with specific demographics of your target area, if you will, or target group. Um, and you're really, I mean, that's your goal is to make sure you're well spread out throughout the community. Because if it is about relationships and connecting, then the wider the net, if you will, the more people are going to be connected to your nonprofit. Yeah, you got it. The only difference is that I actually really push towards that these are all volunteer leaders. Okay, so you don't have to hire them per se. Yeah, if you can if you can hire staff, great, but there's something very different about volunteers taking ownership. And so I want to as a staff person, I want to empower my volunteer leadership, you know, give people titles, you know, give them authority to speak on behalf of my cause because then when they go out and it's, you know, the vice president of this company and they say, you know, I serve as the chair, of the sponsorship committee. Well, now he has ownership of the sponsorship committee and now he's going to recruit people underneath him who also feel ownership over that sponsorship committee. I love the volunteer staff partnership because 
as a staff partner, I love the cause. I, I can share all the details about statistics and all the information about where their money goes. But I don't have the same connections and contacts that those volunteer leaders do in the community. So if you can raise up the right leaders to serve on your on your planning committee and to serve on your campaign, that is going to bring in so much more revenue for your cause. Because not only are they going to get others to, to give to your cause, but they're not going to ask if they don't give. <laughs> so so it'll push them to write bigger checks because they want to show that they are the pace setter. They're the leader in giving, and they're inviting others to give as well. I really like that because I think it's encouraging, particularly to those who, again, are mid- middle size or smaller nonprofits, they can't hire everybody that they'd like to. And so they've got to lean into volunteers to do the job of what otherwise would be staff. So that's a really good call that you can still be successful. You can still build these relationships through key volunteers. That's, I think it's very encouraging for people to hear. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm I 100% prefer working with volunteers than working necessarily with staff because sometimes staff will just do the bare minimum, and those volunteers will go above and beyond the call of duty because, you know, they they don't have to be there. I mean, they're not getting paid to be there, so it's really all about the cause uh, that that they're actually sitting at the table with you. That's a great point that sometimes we forget, isn't it? That yeah, that certainly when you volunteer, that is a passion-driven activity. So they're already motivated. They're obviously not motivated by pay- money because they're not being paid. So I think sometimes you're right. Nonprofits don't always tap into that as well as they could, and they go quickly, too quickly, to hiring staff. So that's a really good point. I was gonna say, yeah, I was just gonna say um, a thought on on that is just the whole getting back to you know begging people to be a part of your cause. That if you are very specific about who you want on your committee and in your organization, they're going to feel honored that you chose them and that you invited them in, and they're going to obviously reciprocate by wanting to do their very best for your cause as well. Excellent. No, I couldn't agree with you more. That's excellent. Well, then let's go on to um, a similar topic. We've had some people on the show talking about fundraising and how there's some changes going on in the nonprofit sector. And actually, there's some changes in the for-profit sector as well when it comes to social enterprises and having more of these elements where nonprofits are adopting some of these ideas of almost becoming an entrepreneurial you know, organization by some of the ways they uh, find to fundraise. For example, having a thrift store as part of their nonprofit. Do you recommend... Do you feel like that's some of the trends you're seeing that nonprofits should become more social enterprises in their fundraising or is that something that's more better set for uh, for for-profit organizations? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's so much to be learned from our for-profit friends and I think sometimes we get caught in that, you know, poor, you know, poor us, we're the charity, you need to help us. And and I think that there's a mindset there that can totally um, make our nonprofits, you know, kick up to the next level, is that if we really see ourselves as um, a worthy organization for people to be a part of, enough to the point of where, you know, you might compare yourself to a Starbucks or an Apple or some of these companies where it's like, I mean, they're they're running their businesses very much like a nonprofit and the fact that there's there is this social connection of making a difference in people's lives and and there's just this warm, you know, like feel good feeling that comes with it. And so by by taking on a little bit of a shift in mindset, I, I do think that there's a lot of benefit to that um, when it comes to our nonprofit organizations. Um, you know, sometimes we we do things in a poverty mentality that, you know, we're we're just trying to to get by. 
and if yeah if we can be a little bit more um you know business savvy when it comes to what we do and look at our organizations as more like you know more like businesses i think we're going to see a lot more success you know my my background working with the american cancer society you know that organization is a billion dollar nonprofit so it is not functioning at a poverty level you know it is functioning as the leader in the fight against cancer, you know, so that they're, they're looking at, we're going to cure cancer. This is a very big deal, you know, so when people partner with them, it's a, it is an honor. It's a, you know, privilege and, and they're bringing in the best of the best. And so I think that any, no matter what level of an organization that you're in, I think if you can, can really look at yourself as a leader in the the market that you're in, you're going to be, you know, I mean, like, people are going to be looking to you. The media is going to come to you for advice. You know, what are you seeing? What are you guys doing to make an impact in this arena? So, yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a lot that could be learned, you know, um, if if we could just shift our, our thinking just a little bit into being a little bit more business savvy when it comes to that side of things. And to be honest with you, our, our world really would not function without our nonprofits. I mean, it, it is, would be near impossible. The only thing that I don't like, um, this is, this is hard for me, is that the standards are different, you know, and no matter what we do to try and change that, people do look at nonprofits in a different way than they do their business, you know, than, than businesses in general. So, you know, when it comes to how much money we spend, you know, how much our employees are making, you know, all those sorts of things were held to a very different standard. And so, no, they don't want us spending more than 15% on administrative costs. And we're not spending, we, we are not expected to spend more than 30% on our fundraisers. So, so that's, that's where I think that we, there's a fine line because we just get, we're put in a box, you know, like as far as our, our, um, you know, what, what we're capable of doing. And I know there's tons of leaders out there that are trying to push the envelope on that. And, you know, good for, good for them. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm excited about what is to come for our nonprofits, for sure. Sounds good. Well, that's, Lisa, a great uh, segue to the next question. If someone's listening to this podcast and you would say, here's what I foresee for the future of fundraising, say in the next three years, what's the future of fundraising and how will it impact nonprofits the most? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the future obviously is, I mean, I, I'm super excited about what is to come. I mean, especially for me with the release of my new book and, and just looking at, you know, organizations who can start to look at, you know, sometimes organizations see that it's like, oh, it's a pie, you know, and if another organization takes part of that pie, that means that there's less for me. And I think we're, we're shifting, you know, the fact that, that, um, the pie is not really a pie. <laughs> like, I mean, you can you can find money from individuals to give to your cause that they might have spent, you know, at, at a local restaurant or they might have spent that money, you know, shopping at, at the local shopping center, you know. So, I, you know, when you start to, to create, um, you know, a need for what it is you do and people feel they get that same feeling of um, being a part of something bigger than themselves, that that will really change our nonprofits. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think that there's so many great things that are ahead of us in these next couple of years. If, if organizations can just shift that thinking a little bit into that there are, that 
people get to be a part of what they're what they're doing and what they're about. So, yeah, um, so much more. You know, I'm, I mean, I just think that we're in control of what our organizations raise and what we don't raise. <laughs> so, so our, the ones that are going to excel are the ones that are willing to embrace change. And you know, with the change of technology and all the things that are coming up in the in the way, I mean, like, there's so much great opportunity for our organizations to raise the funds they need and to make greater impact. Well, that's encouraging. Well, thank you. I, I again, I love your passion, love your enthusiasm, and I love the this idea that you're encouraged and you're really excited to see what the nonprofit sector is going to be in the next few years. I think for nonprofit leaders that are listening, that gives them encouragement to say, yeah, there are better days ahead, and there's yes, there's challenges, but there's some excitement uh, around the corner. So, thank you so much again. And if people hear this podcast and want to hear more about you, uh, maybe contact you and find out about your book. Where would they go? Yeah, so maryvaloney.com is going to be um, the best way to find information about me. Uh, Valoni is V as in Victor, A-L-L-O-N-I. And um, from there, I have a, a free PDF that you can download. It's the three questions to ask yourself before that next fundraiser. And, of course, the book, uh, Fundraising Freedom, is up on Amazon. And you can get it on my website or any online bookstore. And um, if somebody's listening internationally, bookdepository.com is a great way to get the book as well. So, um, yeah, just really excited about what's to come. And, and I, I've been seeing so many incredible things happen just in, in the last couple of years as I've worked as a consultant. And so this is um, definitely our, our best days are ahead of us. Well, Mary, thank you so much again for uh, your time today. Thanks for your insights. Again, Mary Valoni has been my guest. She is a fundraising coach, consultant, and trainer. And she is an author as well of Fundraising Freedom. And you can check out more information at maryvaloni.com. Again, Mary, thanks so much for your time and looking forward to uh, having people respond to your podcast. Great. Thank you. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.